HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour, broadcasting live from Feast, Portland. I'm Danny Cowan, and before we kick things off, I'd like to thank Travel Portland, Stream PDX, and the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage of Feast possible. Right now, I'm joined by Michelle Batista of the Nightwood Society. She is the proprietress. I like that name, the proprietress. Uh, and we have something in common, which is we love collaboration, and we love particularly collaboration among women. So welcome, woman. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me on, Dana. I'm so happy to have you here. And what I feel like I'm doing Radio Verite, you know, there's Cinema Verite, but the Radio Verite is that, uh, you know, if I'm interviewing someone in Portland, I have to go experience their world. So last night I went and experienced the Nightwood Society, which is a beautiful space. Thank you. Um, it has like the longest bar, like some ladies have long legs. This bar is long and you have such a great um, kitchen in the front and kitchen in the back. Yes. Which is, I don't know, there's a bad party in the front, party in the back thing. But in this case, it's really good because the things you don't want people to see about cooking is behind. And Correct. This beautiful plating is in front. And then there are these really elegant tables of happy people eating, and their tables were covered with Russian food. That was great. It was a really special dinner last night. It was special. So the um, the Nightwood Society is a gathering space for food experiences that touch on so many different things, design, food, um, creativity, magic making, and it's all women. So tell me, why is it all women? Oh, that's a, I could talk for hours about this, but uh. um, when the idea was born for the Nightwood, it wasn't meant to be all women. That wasn't part of its ethos when it was born. Um, and as Katie, uh, who couldn't be with me today, my my cohort and co-founder, Katie Reardon, and I were hatching this plan and scheming and dreaming it up and going through her MBA program and breaking up with partners and putting to bed old lives and starting new. Uh, I went, I slept one night and I had this dream and I was having a lot of anxiety about launching this project. It's a big endeavor and a lot of people told me that I was crazy and continued to do so and I woke up from this dream in the morning and I 
I just took this deep breath and was like, oh my gosh, this has to be about all women. And I called Katie. It was about six in the morning. And I said, friend, this has to be about all women. And she was like, okay, I think it's great. <laughs> um, what was the dream? Oh, it was, um, it was a bit of an Alice in Wonderland dream, actually. I have an affinity for Lewis Carroll, and that book has been a guide from the beginning. Tell me more. Oh, I mean, from childhood, I've just always believed I was a bit of Alice, or I have a bit of Alice in me. But what part of Alice? So many pieces. Um, when we started this project, it was a bit about, like, we would use this reference of going down the rabbit hole. Like, if you could just ignore what looked good on paper, if you could ignore what people said or sort of the structure of life and, and how we build our lives or how we're told to build our lives, and if you could just have your dream life and it didn't have to be in a box like I didn't have to be a chef or I didn't have to be a marketing person or a product developer or whatever that thing was if you could just be all of the things that interested you um, that was the thing we were just uh, guided by this idea that we would follow the white rabbit and jump down the hole and we would see what would come out on the other side <laughs> well what what's come out is um, it's it's a very special place, but let's dial back because one of the things that you had said is as you were developing this project, mm -hmm. you were going through so many things, Yes, right? Um, there's so many changes in life and it took a lot of um, courage and bravery to do this. It took dreaming. It yes. took unshackling yourself. So can you tell me a little bit about the journey to that point? Yeah. Um, Oh, you get to a place, I'm 45, um, and I have two daughters that I raise, and I was married for a long time, and then I wasn't, and then I was in partnership with someone I loved very much, and then I wasn't, and I found, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I've, um, I've run my own design consultancy and continue to do so, called Stockpot for, I think this is our 17th year. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. I haven't worked in a corporate structure for a long time. It doesn't really suit me. Uh, and so when Katie and I decided that we wanted to start this creative incubator, kitchen, gathering space, a place to dream up ideas with other people and truly, truly have it be about community and collaboration, our guiding compass, the entire build was about values. So she and I did a lot of values work first. And that was part of the unshackling, really looking at your life. We're both in our 40s and saying, what do I believe in? And how do I get closer to that source and get so, away from the things that I don't want? How did you do that? Because I think so many people are constricted mm -hmm. um, by what others think of them or, you know, their own expectations for themselves. So how did you do that unshackling? We sat down and did values work together, um, like real values work on paper. Like what is that? I've never, friend, I've never done so, values work. So I have a friend in New York who, who you would actually really like and I'll introduce you since you're close in proximity uh, named Andrew Mellon and he's sort of this organizational expert but a lot of what he does is values work with people and um, sort of following this philosophy that you can take out the things you don't want in your life and have more time for the things you do. And I met him actually at a ranch in Mexico years ago, and he did a workshop at this ranch I was um, doing cooking classes in. And uh, he, I went to his workshop the first day, and I just knew that that 
was going to be something that I wanted to do. And he and I became really good friends. And I've been doing that work alongside him, beside him as friend now for three, three or so years. So what did you put aside, you know, if the value is deciding what you care about the most and rejecting things? We really decided we were going to build this culture of this community of women and really stick to the things that we believed in about, you know, diversity and inclusivity and fairness and equitable pay and social justice and all of the things that make me tick and make Katie tick and make everyone in the our community tick, but to find a way to monetize it for ourselves so we can make a living and keep following these dreams. We all sit on various boards. We all do a fair amount of volunteer work. Um, I have two daughters that I'm raising, so it's really important for me to model behavior for them. And that's the other thing I was seeing in my other life. Like this is, I'm enjoying my life, but I'm not modeling the best behavior for them. Um, and so that was a huge game changer for me. And they've now and What was the distinction own. like between... Um, the before and after. I think I was spending a lot of time working really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, okay, they're learning hard work. Mm -hmm. They're learning how to get up in the morning and go work for all of these hours and do all of these things. But at the end of the day, I was exhausted. And I wasn't happy because I didn't feel like I was authentic um, in, in the life that I was in, in a way. And... I just wanted them to believe that you, uh, as a woman um, in the world, they're 9 and 11 now, um, that you could build a life that you that you want around values first instead of just like, okay, I'm going to work, 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 and play after. Like, how do we make a life of play, 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 and then work? How do we fill our <laughs> life with all of the good things that we want? Um, and work is a huge component, of course, but I, for me, that's not my first foot forward. And um, what do you think your daughters would say about Night with Society? Do they come and... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a huge conversation with them before we opened. We had a big sit down about, you know, do you want to do this? This is going to take mom away from home a lot. You know, you guys will have to participate. And they were totally and completely supportive. They've since watched me and Katie jumpstart Nightwood and get that going and now they've started a little t-shirt brand called Tiny Feminist so they have a website and they're little entrepreneurs. You've got to be kidding me. No. Okay you so. You can find it online. So what do their t-shirts say? Tiny Feminist, Future Leader, Rebel Without a Cause. I mean it's all it's all for the tiny tiny feminists in our lives. <laughs> so you're you're um, you're birthing some Good, good entrepreneurs there. Yeah, they're learning a lot. We have a Google Drive set up with all of their, when they buy product and then, you know, just all the pieces and components that come with having inventory and buying inventory and shipping on the website and they help manage all of that and they're learning a lot about money. I think it's great to learn about money. I mean, my, um, I have an 18 year old daughter who is always like, well, why don't you, why won't you talk to me about money? I'm like, I will. She's like, well, you should teach me something about money. It's very important to know about money. I mean, what do you think the most important thing to know about money is? Oh, geez. Um, I actually, truth be told, I don't like math. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, when I, I'm a visual learner and I'm a creative thinker and I'm a puzzle solver. Mm -hmm. These are all my favorite things, strategy and development. I love working puzzles of life and business. Um, when I look at numbers and spreadsheets, it's, it does not compute. So for me, I feel like I'm learning with them, like in teaching them how to manage this Excel document in the Google Drive. 
which is not my favorite thing to do at all. Um, it forces me to, to do that with them. So it's actually been good for both of us. And um, so you're, you've continued to do a design practice at the mm -hmm. same time. And how do you balance that? Because I know that balance is one of your um, you know, core principles. Yeah, so I used to do a lot in footwear and apparel. Katie and I both come from product backgrounds and she's actually still at Nike now. Um, so we both come from product creation. And I was really bored in that space. And as we built Nightwood, I kept saying, there's a way for us to apply our same processes, which so much of the work we do is process and strategy and um, to food and drink and lifestyle. And so it's been really fun and it's happened really organically is that it's all now starting to come together. It was very stressful at first because it was too different lanes mm -hmm. but now it's all merging um, which has been incredible to go through and you know it's still clunky sometimes but in, mostly because of taxes and accounting but <laughs> the process has been really great. So you mentor a lot of people mm -hmm. because you are an entrepreneur and you really want women to thrive. What do you find um, as you're mentoring is the greatest obstacle to people's success? Uh, fear. And uh, how do you help them overcome fear? That's really hard. Um, we, I try to give as many tangible tools as possible. And I've found they have to be really simple. The simplest tools seem to push um, these girls into a place where they can start to conceptualize what living with fear and anxiety looks like. Because it's not going to go away. It's never mm, going to go away. Do you believe that? I, I do. I mean, it's all when you're an entrepreneur and you're taking risks every mm -hmm. day, um, it's not that you're not scared. I think you, you manage it. It doesn't, uh, you can change the feeling, uh, in a way and you can put it away. And so one of the tools I use, I'm mentoring a group uh, here right now of six young women through Swift Collective, the agency. And one of the things I've been trying to teach them is that you can assign time to worry. I know that sounds really basic. I don't know if it's basic. I like that idea. What do you mean you assign time to worry? So like you can worry first thing in the morning, but you can't worry later in the day? You just pick whatever. Like if, if you need to worry 15 minutes a day, then you assign 15 minutes. And then wow. you put that in your calendar. And you, you sit down and you worry about all of the things for 15 minutes. And then at the end of 15 minutes, you just refuse to do that the rest of the day. And you can do that as long as it takes. I mean, if it takes an hour at the beginning and then you work back to 15 minutes, that's great. But it sort of gives you space and license to not have that be something weighing you down because you're not effective or efficient with your time when you're just right. spinning. Sure, just anxious and yeah. worried. Okay, uh, give me more because I love that. I mean, I tend to be, um, you know, an inward worrier. Like, I'm not very much of an, like, it's dumb stuff. Like, I'm going to miss the plain type of worry. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, sp I'm a sporadic warrior, but, um, but I do think that fear holds so many people back and I've watched so many people who are, um, you know, they solicit advice. They can't listen or act on advice, mm -hmm. but this business of, you know, uh, sort of packaging your time mm -hmm. around your anxieties seems really smart. What else? Um, we, I mean, we do little things like we assign worry to objects, um, and, Again, like all of these things seem, I don't know, childish in a way, but back to Alice in Wonderland, like, you know, I'm going to worry about this dog. 
She actually picked up a dog. He's my worry. He's going to hold your worry. <laughs> Today. Um, so I'm going to like tell him all of the things that are worrying me and I'm going to let it sit with him. And then we're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to have a conversation about, um, you know, what kinds of things like where where we can get rid of things like what do we not need to worry about there's so many things that we worry about that we have no control over so much of worry is about control so getting rid of those things like you know not worrying about what people think of you is a huge one that's 50 percent of the time that's what people are worried about why do you think people worry about that thing so much women and in i particular? think especially women yes yeah. I, I think we've been conditioned i mean We've been told our whole lives that we have to be a certain way, you know, basically to, to catch a man, right? I mean, I, I say that. I, I love men. I will say that. I get called man-hater often. Not true. Um, but we're sort of prepped for this life of marriage and children and, you know, but now we have to be all the things. We have to work, have kids, be married, manage friendships and relationships, support, radical support. Um, and so I think that once you can kind of let go and s- sort of look at your life and say, you know, my love isn't going to look like anybody else's or my business life isn't going to look like anybody else's or my friendships aren't going to look like and no one's going to understand that. And that's OK. I mean, every all the all the weirdest people are the best people anyway. <laughs> I want to be in that camp. I don't right. want to be in the I don't want to be in the other camp. And, um, okay, one more mm-hmm. tool and move from tools. Um, I mean, meditation is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would suggest, and I tell, it's so funny how you, it's really hard to get people to do it. Mm-hmm. Even 10 minutes. I think the idea of sitting quiet with your own thoughts is terrifying for so many people. Like they can't even wrap their heads around what's in their own head. Well, I will say this, I have learned, if I have not learned anything else in my life, I have learned that you have to put yourself first so you can be the best person for everybody else. And so many of us are just, especially women, especially women with families, are just spinning around for everybody else all of the time. And then one day you wake up and you say, what am I doing? How did I get here? How do I get back? Right. The road. The, yes. We're, it's all about the road. Road back. Okay. So the road that y- you took yourself on is to this amazing place called the Nightwood Society. What is your dream sort of day, night use of that space? Right. Because it's a multi-use space. Mm-hmm. It has so many different purposes. So like what would be your absolute dream? Because it's kind of a, a place of magic. So what magic would you make there? Um, I'll go back to a day that happened a few months ago. And it happened. That's even more amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'll really use this. As, in, a, in a dream state, we would be, you know, incubating creative ideas and hosting other women, artists, writers, cooks. But who are the specifics? Like, you'd want, like what writer, what, you know, flowers? Do they have to be alive? They can, no, they'd be alive or dead. You're, you well, have, you Juna Barnes, for sure. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Juna Barnes would do a writing workshop. You know, she would she would live there for, she would write her next book there if she were still alive. I know Camus Davis will hear this and and uh, concur. Uh, we all have an affinity, which is how The Nightwood was named um, after the, the book The Nightwood um, by Juna Barnes. And, uh, you know, I would have 
in a dream state, if I could take away all of the things that I see there every day and just imagine, I would, you know, people would be painting and there would be music playing and there would be beautiful smells from the kitchen. I'm highly sensory. So this whole project, my whole life is really this pursuit of um, connecting as many sensory dots as possible. Like if you can be in a space and touch things and see things and smell things and hear things like that, I have a theory uh, that that is where um, you can unlock sort of the create the creative parts of your brain in a way when you can experience all the senses at the same time. Okay, that's amazing. I love that idea. So how do you like what how has that happened in your life? Like have you had that that moment of unlocking where you have every sense that's like quivering? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm trying to think if I've had it on my own rather than creating it. Well, tell me about when you created. Um, so when we were opening Nightwood, uh, we had these days where we would bring all of the women together um, and sort of the extended group too. all of the organically. Everybody just came together in those beginning months. And how so, did you find the women who became part of the collective? I'm a bit of a connector. I'm a collector and connector, a connector. Collector. <laughs> so um, it was super organic. I think everybody pretty much from the beginning um, started with me. And then from that, uh, a couple of the women then connected multiple people, but they just came. And then everybody else that ended up sort of jumping on that first wave uh, they've just they came they came through finding us on Instagram and then calling and really any time that someone would call or DM or email and we had this open door policy so if I would get a DM which is how I met my friend Jess Ford now my dear friend who's the artist in residence essentially at Nightwood and you saw the paintings on the walls last night um, she just saw what we were doing and reached out and said I want to be a part of it and that a lot of that happened and when someone would say I want to be a part of it we would say okay let's have coffee and they would come and we would talk and we would say okay what do you want to do and they would say you know whatever I want to cook with you I want to paint art for the walls I want to do an installation I want to do ceramics and we would say okay let's let's do it and that's how the whole group started that and it just continues to grow I that sounds a, like a great way to to build you know one on top of the the next so I'm sorry you were going to talk about like a moment where all these things came together yeah in the early days when we were we had about maybe 13 14 women um, at the launch and we hosted this dinner for everyone and it was the first dinner where chef Sarah our kitchen queen had cooked for everyone a lot of folks hadn't had her food yet mm -hmm. which is incredible and we gathered everybody together and it was sort of early fall and we went out to the we worked with a lady farm on um, Savi Island called Vibrant Valley and we went out to the farm and one of the women that works with us is a floral designer and you saw some of her installations hanging from the ceiling last Beautiful. night Rose yeah, yeah. Um, and we went out and we it was like full circle. We went out to the farm, we cut all of these magnolia heads, like deadheaded all of the flowers because it was transitioning into fall. 
And then we boxed up all the flowers and we brought them back to Nightwood. And then Sarah cooked this beautiful meal and someone curated a playlist and Jess was painting. And then we all strung heads of magnolias for hours and like ate and drank. And <laughs> it was just, we all sort of looked around and said, I, this is where this is where I would live. I, I want a commune just like this. So next next project should be a hotel. Actually, I would love that. Um, that'll be so perfect, mm-hmm. right? And you could devote different rooms to the different activities, and everybody totally. come, comes together at, um, at breakfast. And um, I think you all obviously should come and do it in New York. Yeah, I love this idea. I mean, the the idea is that Nightwood, you know, its physical home is here, but the Nightwood Society is something every every woman can be a part of and I would love to scale it into different cities where people want to take on the project and manage it in their city Um, but under that under that lifestyle of that we're creating of the Nightwood yeah I'm volunteering um I'm going to hold you to that. Exactly. That's why I'm saying it on like pausing. (laughs) But I want to say that on the air because then you can be like, well, Dana, you said it to me on the air. I told Jill earlier and she was like, you guys are crazy. And I was like, no, Dana said it. It's going to (laughs) happen. I did say it. (laughs) Like, it's pretty much my dream too. You put it out in the world. I didn't, I know this whole manifesting thing, which is part of your like the values and you know, like you say it, you can make it happen. It's true. Right. Like if I just hold it inside ha, you never have to know and I never have to do it, it. but I did I put it out there <laughs> um so paying it forward you uh, have a robust mixed world but filled with amazing women mm-hmm. uh what who inspires you the most and why in our team nope the oh. world oh, and they do have the to world. these people have oh, to be gosh. alive this person has to be alive no dead writers I know that's hard I there's so many I mean especially right now there's so many amazing women it's not great I know you're catching me off guard I don't know if I can say one person (laughs) let me come back to it But that's my last question. Okay, well, we'll okay. come back to you. You'll, you'll, you'll get, you'll get we'll another We'll have to do a whole another segment. Shot. Okay, so um, I love the fact that I've learned in this short, brief period of time together that your life is filled with theories. You have the theory of value. You have the theory of connecting, um, you know, all the synesthetic moments in your mm-hmm. life, so all the sensory moments in your life. Um, do you have another one? Like, what else do you have in there that's like, I just, I want to know. Like, once you have those two theories, I bet your whole life is filled with theories. I have spent the last two years really trying to um, be as open-hearted and open-minded as possible. And that's, those two, whether you call them theories or if they're just principles, uh, those two principles are the things that guide me. So when something presents itself, no matter how how little time I have um, or how much time I have or how much space I have. If if I'm truly walking this earth open-hearted and open-minded uh, as much as humanly possible and growing in that every day, then, then I will say yes to something if it presents itself because I, the growth that comes from, from acting from a place of an open heart and an open head is... I've seen what I see. I've seen and felt what happens, and it's pretty profound. I mean, I really want that to be the last thing, except I want to know a woman who you're going to pay it forward to, and then it's, you're done. I feel like anybody I say right now is going to be so cliche. <laughs> I don't want to be cliche, Dana. Okay, well, just stay away from your mom, and then that's. I'm the just going to say Dana. I'm going to say Dana Cowan. <laughs> That's who I'm going with. Okay, forget it. So um, <laughs> we're not going to end with that. We're going to end with thank you. Um, thank you so much, Michelle Batista, for uh, joining us here um, 
And thanks to Travel Portland, Stream PDX, in the super cool uh, Airstream trailer, trailer um, and the Julia Child Foundation for making uh, the, our coverage of Feast possible. And also thanks to Aaron Parecki, the co-founder of Stream PDX, for being our sound engineer. Woohoo! <laughs> Without great sound engineers, you can't do anything. It doesn't work. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>